All right, I'm at Doc Train West talking with Emma Hamer, and uh, she is a performance consultant. Emma, tell me about workspaces and companies. What's the ideal setup to facilitate the best collaboration? Well, the, the interesting part of that is that um, in the world of work today, and certainly in the world of kind of innovative work and um, knowledge work, people are required to collaborate on levels and in ways that have never really been explored before. And the work environment in which they have to do that, in my opinion, hasn't kept pace with the demands of the job. Um, people are increasingly being told that the silos have to come down, the walls have to come down, you have to work across disciplines and in multidisciplinary teams, and yet we still put people away, squirrel them away in these little rabbit cages called cubicles. <clears throat> and one of my themes that I've been pounding on for a couple of years now is that the cubicle has to go. Its time has come. It's done. You know, it's interesting uh, for me, because I know I interviewed you last year about this topic, and I just transitioned from a cubicle environment to a completely open setup where project teams are grouped together. I sit right next to the interaction designer and right behind the programmer, and it has made a big difference. So what what kind of like layout should companies have? And I mean, how important is proximity? Couldn't they just call meetings and things like that? Well, the thing with meetings is that, first of all, there are way too many meetings and meetings are basically unproductive time unless they're meetings in which decisions are made and in fact those could be stand-up meetings if everybody's done their homework so there's really no need a lot of meetings that are held in organizations and I see it in the project that I'm working in today um, approximately half of my work week is eaten up with you know, sitting in on meetings, contributing to meetings or leading meetings that are all about updating one another And this shouldn't be necessary. If you are actually in, enough, in close enough proximity to one another that you can hear what's going on on the desk next to you and you can eavesdrop on phone calls um, where uh, whenever anybody has a problem, they just throw it in the middle of the table and everybody kind of pitches in and helps solve it, then all this meeting for to update everybody and to keep everybody informed of what progress is are completely superfluous because... We already know what progress is because we've been working on it together. Besides physical spaces that facilitate collaboration, do you do you do anything with like virtual spaces that facilitate collaboration? Abs- absolutely. Um, it, you know, in an ideal world, you get all the people working on a project all in the same room, kind of in a circle of desks facing each other so that they can see what everybody's doing and where there are regular kind of you know get-togethers and little groupings around a desk that's not always possible sometimes you work with people in that work in different cities or sometimes even different countries and you know the good thing about the way the uh, everybody's hooked up these days to the internet is that there's a tremendous amount of tools available some of them free actually free to use that um, that really facilitate that um, a lot of companies have um, <clears throat> you know, have, have, have collaborative spaces that they create using SharePoint. Um, that's one tool. There are others. Um, uh, some of them are even better and more useful than, than SharePoint, and some of them are free. And what really matters is not so much which tool you pick as that you really think about what do we want to do with this tool? Is it we want people to work together on documents? Uh, we want people to be able to, at a glance, see what everybody else is doing. So you want some sort of project management tool online. 
Um, it really is about, you know, how do you want to shape that collaboration with, you know, instant message chat, with uh, web conferencing. There are so many ways in which you can connect with one another on a regular and ongoing basis without calling it a meeting. But it's, it's a working session. It's a work session. What else can you do to try to help teams collaborate better? Let's say you put them together so that they're close to each other, but they're still not working well with each other. They're not sharing information. Is there any other kind of things that you can do? Well, collaboration is something that is a, that, in my opinion, is a learned skill. Um, to collaborate well, you have to check your ego at the door, um, and there has to be kind of an egalitarian um, attitude within the team. And again, the manager, whoever is managing this team, has a big role to play there to not take one person's opinion um, more seriously than anybody else's opinion. Um, Very often, if you have been been working in in collaborative teams where there's a bunch of engineers, software engineers, and perhaps some, some information designers, and then you have some writers who are all documenting it, the writer is kind of not always viewed as an equal partner, which I think is wrong because the writer has the communication expertise to make all these ideas actually work for the end user. So it really is about kind of reshaking the informal and, and in, 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 in my opinion, not always appropriate hierarchy within organizations, the how much weight do you give to each opinion. In fact, <clears throat> in my experience, very often some of the best contributions in teams that I've worked with have come from people who do not have domain knowledge, but who look at it with a kind of, well, shall we say, professional naivete and can say, well, I know this makes a lot of sense to you because you developed it, but I, I don't know. I, I changed this because this is, would make more sense to me if I were the user. And I think that's also one of the key roles that, uh, for instance, technical communicators can, pl- can play to be really the voice, of, the voice of reason, the voice of keep it simple because our user, while they may be very sophisticated, we don't want to put that user through all sorts of flaming hoops in order to get done whatever the user needs to get done. It has to be simple. It has to be easy. It has to be transparent. And, you know, this is very all very interesting, and this is a wonderful little feature that you've all developed, but let's face it, who's going to use it? So <clears throat> there's that, that aspect of, you know, we're all in this together. This is a group project. No voice has more weight than any other, and things are resolved more along a consensus model than on a win-lose model. It's interesting your comments about getting feedback and advice from people who aren't domain experts because that seems to fit really well with Web 2.0 ideas where we try to gather feedback from all kinds of users who may not normally uh, be contributors and suddenly they're giving really good information. Um, Is there anything that, uh, any techniques people can do to try to help people who are are maybe shy and who don't contribute, who are like, you know, maybe entry-level secretaries and who aren't used to giving product usability feedback, uh, anything that we can do to try to encourage them to be contributors in that sense? Well, asking the questions, you know, ask the questions in as clear and as unambiguous a way as you can. Um, again, a big role both for team members individually and for the for a team leader is to be really encouraging and 
to emphasise that there really aren't any stupid questions. The only stupid questions are the ones that nobody asks. And that, um, you know, commending the bravery of speaking up because it is difficult. If you are in a room full of people who have written this stuff and who, you know, or who have developed this particular product or this, this, this software application, it's very hard to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I'm just not seeing the point here. <laughs> you know, that's really hard. So to encourage that and to, uh, to improve um, the likelihood of people doing that is really about taking it seriously and saying, okay, well, um, okay, so it doesn't make sense to you. What would make sense? You know, if it's, it's very easy to critique, but do you have, you know, can you help us figure out how to do it better? Um, I was just reading, uh, sort of flipping through the Doc Train uh, program guide, and uh, uh, there was a little profile of Michael Boses, who's one of the top honchos at Envision, and where he was quoted saying, if you really, really, really listen to your users and to people who will comment on your product, I would add to that, there's a pretty good chance that you'll get it right the first time. And and again, to, to, to quote, um, oh, shoot, sorry, little brain, brain fart here, but um, uh, the, the, the author of um, Why, Software Sucks, Why Software Sucks and What You Can Do About It. David Platt. That, thank you, David Platt. <laughs> so nice to be speaking with someone who's knowledgeable. Um, <clears throat> who said, you know, know thy user and, oh, by the way, thou art not he. In other words... You know, you can't have people policing the usability of the products that they have created. Not the creator can't do that. You develop a sort of professional blindness. It's why, um, you know, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists have editors. It's why um, a novelist, before they win, you know, a great literary prize, and when they're in their thank you, thank you speech, will generally speak about their fabulous editor and how they've worked with that editor together because it's about honing it. It's about sharpening the message about getting things right. It's no different for a software application that ultimately has to be used by people who aren't using it to show you how clever you were designing it. They're using it because they want to complete a task. And the easier you make that for that user, the happier they'll be with that product. So this person who is trying to be a user advocate, who's trying to uh, encourage the shy people to give feedback, is this person a technical writer? Can a technical writer fill this role? Um, or is the tech writer too close to the product? I think technical writers are probably, of all the groups within a development group, um, probably best suited to the role because they don't have an emotional attachment to the code. They don't have an emotional attachment to the various features that have been added because this was a way cool feature and I'm sure somebody's going to like it. They really are trying to say, okay, well, you've built this thing. Now, I'm here to help you tell people about it in a way that they're going to not only use it, but they're going to want to use it. And <clears throat> it's really the big difference between, you know, sales and marketing. Sales is selling something to someone. Marketing is making somebody want to buy it. So if you want to be successful with the products that you make, you want to create products and communicate about those products in a way that's going to make people want to use them because, not because they're full of features that nobody uses, but because they help the user achieve the tasks that the, that the user set out to, to achieve and uh, make it easy and you make it fun. Now this leads into a perennial predicament for technical writers. We, we're user advocates. We try to tell developers, hey, look, this feature isn't working. This interface is confusing. 
they don't really listen. They don't. They they resist changing things. So what can we do? Well, that's a situation that very often happens when you're working in isolation of one another or in a sequential uh, workflow where they develop something, then they give it to you and you either try and poke holes in it or try and explain away the inconsistencies. Or And when you're doing in a, a collaborative development, um, what's the word, in a collaborative development environment, that kind of dichotomy is just... Well, it still may be there to some extent, but it's much less prevalent because you've been part of it. You've been watching and you're going like, why are you doing that? Oh, well, why? You know, just keep asking why. I think one of the key things that technical communicators can do, because that's what they're really good at, at getting to the bottom of things, going to the root cause of things, being able to continually ask, yes, But why? I'm not sure I understand. And if I don't understand, I can't write it so that your user is going to understand. So you need to make me understand. And as long as I don't understand, we, you know, we have a problem. Um, I'm I'm not going to just cover this up. That's like putting lipstick on the pig. That doesn't help. We need to fix it. And I'm not saying that you will always get them to listen. And sometimes there might be other considerations where they're like, well, I see your point, but it's going to cost us six weeks and $15,000 to go back in and fix it. So, you know, maybe we'll tackle that one in the next release. And, you know, and you go with the flow. That's just the way things sometimes happen. But I do believe that technical communicators are great people to do this um, because they're trained to probe. They're pr- trained to say why and how does this work and explain it to me one more time and can you use a different metaphor because I am not getting it. And if I'm not getting it, again, the user is not going to get it. So it seems like this technical communicator is really playing a lot of different roles. And, and one of them is the user, user advocacy. Do you like the term technical communicator? Is there something that better describes what the, the person does so that developers don't just say, oh, that's the tech writer. He's supposed to just be writing rather than uh, giving all this usability and other feedback. Is it, what term do you prefer for this role? Well, it's... <laughs> You know, the thing is, this morning I did a, um, a session, a train-the-trainer session about the concepts of interactive training, and one of the slides that was in there was, you are not just the fount of all knowledge, you're also the therapist, the mother-father mother, father figure, you're also the empathetic ear that lets them vent their frustration about how their boss is making them go to this training and they have other things to do, and you're all these things all rolled into one, and for convenience sake, we call you trainers. And I think this is true for technical communicators as well. There's, and why I, I am a big advocate of the STC initiative to change the name from technical writer in the occupation guide to technical communicator because you do do a lot more than just write. Frankly, um, you know, one of my um, expressions that I've, again, used in many, on many occasions is the work of a technical communicator, 95% of it happens before your fingers ever touch a keyboard. So what is that 95%? How can you define that in a more effective way? Um, technical communicators are user experience analysts. They're usability testers. They're, um, you know, everybody's collective mother-in-law. If you can read it, if you know what it means, chances are your average user will. And, um, you know, I used to, I used to manage a, a, a tech docs team that did scientific um, uh, that that did scientific reporting from a for a research institute, 
And that's what I would say. You know, you should have your material read by somebody who understands what you're talking about. So in other words, who has domain expertise. And you need your mother-in-law to read it. And if she gets what you're talking about, we're good. However, this was all classified material, so you couldn't really take it out of the building. So I said, I will be your collective mother-in-law. If I can understand what you're talking about, then you're on the right track. If Stephen Hawking can write a book about the most complex theoretical physics that anybody's ever encountered in a way that makes it read like a thriller, so can you. Emma, is there any question I haven't asked you that you wanted to expand upon today? Oh, tons, but we'll do this. We'll do this again soon. And um, I, I always enjoy talking to you, Tom. It's uh, it's a, you. You always ask really interesting questions, and you lead me along this meandering path of ideas. And um, I'm sure that uh, there will be many an opportunity for us to do this again and uh, expand on some of the ideas that I've talked about today. What's your website so that users can know where to get more information on how to contact you? Absolutely. Um, www.hamer-associates.ca. That's CA for Canada and not COM for commercial. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Emma. Thank you, Tom. Lovely talking to you.